are entering the Freedom Hut. A Black Lives Matter leader says they will burn this system down if they don't get what they want. U.S. Marshals are going to be protecting federal monuments. Minneapolis neighborhood goes cop-free. A big court win for Trump on immigration. COVID cases spiking in some big states. And the Dixie Chicks have a new name coming up. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Like I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, my friends. Welcome, welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. As always, honor and privilege to have you here with me. Thank you so much. We have a, a ton to discuss. We always do these days, right? Because, as we know, we have the, the big issues all jammed together right now of the election, of COVID-19, of the economy, of the Black Lives Matter protest movement, right? All these things, it's going to be a busy busy summer that much we can all count on and let's start with where we are now in the black lives matter protests and because i will talk to you about covid19 and and then we'll discuss a bit of how trump is doing uh politically speaking across the country but let's just first say this does anyone really believe at this point that this is ultimately meant to make this a better country or or is this really about an expression of outrage and a political mobilization for a party that is willing to use the emotional outburst. And that's really what this is. The emotional outburst that is also tied, I think, to the stress and the psychological duress of this lockdown for the purposes of achieving power. <clears throat> when you think of it that way, it becomes very clear, I think what's going to be happening in the weeks and months ahead. I can't say that I can predict the future, but I do think we should recognize that this is not going to get better anytime soon. And the lessons that have been learned in recent weeks and months will be forgotten by the media the second that it is convenient for them. So they'll just go back to the old stories. They'll go back to what they were saying before. It does not matter that we have proven the argument they made to be wrong. It does not matter that we have learned the lesson or should have based on the data and based on recent history. You're going to hear the same stuff from them. And one of the things that's going to keep coming up is that this movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, is about police reform. It's not. It's not about police reform. Because if you look at the numbers, police are doing a very good job in this country. The last 20 years, violence has been going down, down, down. The exceptions to that are overwhelmingly Democrat-controlled cities in a few places. And that's something that the Democratic Party somehow never is held to account for. I mean, now we're looking, they keep talking about the system, and we'll discuss what one Black Lives leader, uh, Black Lives Matter leader said about this. <clears throat> um, but first, I just want to say the Democrat Party is never, never going to turn around and, and look at its constituency in the eye and say, you know what, what we've been saying, what we've been creating for for decades and decades, the uh, supporting welfare policies without any regard for what it does for uh, intact families and whether the state is effectively subsidizing social policies that are not a good idea, uh, social decisions that can be 
deleterious, that can be damaging to certain communities. The Democratic Party cannot, will not ever do that. And in fact, they'll shut down discussions of this. And these are discussions that also should be had in all impoverished communities, including those in the country that are overwhelmingly white. People talk about the poorest per capita counties in the United States. And eastern Kentucky is usually the very top of the list, which is almost entirely white. Social dysfunction, despair, hopelessness exists in places all around the country for people of all different races. And there are some things that we have learned, some things that we know. Finish high school, stay married, don't have children before you're married. That, if you look at the social science, that's the, the three-pronged approach to not being in poverty. Now, do you see any big campaign out there that's trying to promote this? Do you see anyone saying, hey, just let's, let's teach this in schools. Look at all the things that are being taught in schools all the time. Look at the different revisionist histories that are out there now and the way that we're all undermining the narrative of the country, of the founders, coming up with all this new stuff. These are focus, they're focusing on what's meant to divide us and meant to excuse the unbelievable failures of the Democrat urban project stretching back for at least my entire lifetime. And when it comes to uh, reductions of out of wedlock births, when it comes to intact families you know, stretching through now multiple generations, it's been it's been terrible. But if you even talk about families, you're considered some kind of out of touch uh, you know, elitist or something even much worse than that. When all the data shows us this, they pretend to care about the data, the numbers. If we were having a serious conversation about how to try to fix parts of our society that are dysfunctional, cities that are plagued by crime, regions that have way too much poverty and and illiteracy and opioid overdose or crack overdose or, you know, whatever drug we're talking about, it's all the, some of the the factors underlying this are the same and they're human failings they're problems that come up because people need us people need if they can a two-parent household it is the social science tells you this now this isn't i'm not putting anyone down i'm not i'm not suggesting that i sit here in judgment of anyone's life but if we're going to talk about the data and what it tells us about public policy a two-parent household is a stronger a uh, stronger formula for stable generations going forward, right? People that won't get involved with drugs and crime and gangs and poverty. None of this is even part of the conversation. We, we, we push all of that aside. That's not even something we can discuss. Instead, we're getting lectures about white fragility, uh, which, you know, I'm, I've gone back and forth on whether I'm going to read the book that's out there now by an author who's one of these uh, really one of these race grievance grifters who are out, and there are many of them. This is a huge industry, and they're actually uh, quite powerful. I mean, I've come across many of them over the years, and they, they remind me now because they used to be in colleges, you would have this. You would, you would have the, because I was an employee at one point, part-time, at Amherst College, where I went to school, and we would get the diversity indoctrination training at the beginning of every year. And you would have people who would come in, and they would have all these uh, explanations for how if you don't effectively sign on for the entire progressive agenda, 
uh, you might be a little bit racist. And if you don't accept things like white privilege, you're in, if you don't accept white privilege, you are showing your white fragility and your white fragility is evidence of an underlying racism. This is very similar. I mean, I, I've always been fascinated by the totalitarianism, as you know, of the Soviet Union. I read about it. I have a bunch of Stalin biographies I've read that are you know, sitting on the bookshelf that you can't see right now, but it's right next to me. I find the Soviet Union fascinating because how could you take a very large and culturally rich and sophisticated country and completely ruin it? I mean, just completely destroy it for generations. And it is using many of the same Mar it's, it's using the same Marxist and uh, division first attitudes and approaches that we see currently being used here in America and that do stretch back to the French Revolution. I, I've I've been fascinated by the the lack of, you know, they need a revolution that did not end in misery, heinous bloodshed and destruction of everything on the left. And so this is why they've created this mythology of the French Revolution as something that is to be celebrated. The French Revolution was an abject failure that resulted in misery, murder, despair, and poverty. All right, they, they had people desecrating churches, intentionally having sex on the altar of Catholic churches to just show how much they had uh, defeated religion. They were, you know, coming up with new names for the calendar year. They're coming up with all this remaking society top to bottom. You know what it ended up with? The Twelve, the Committee of the Twelve, people gathering together in a room deciding who's got to get got, if you will. Who's going to get their head chopped off? Robespierre, the most famous, but one of many. And what was the end result of the French Revolution? Well, as we know, it turned into an autocracy. And then it led to uh, 15 years of war and countless people killed, maimed, lives ruined. Uh, they had to institute price controls because of the lack of basic goods that people could actually get. You know, no milk, no bread, all that gone. The war in the Vendée, a war to suppress people who tried to maintain their Catholic faith, who believed that they should still have a relationship with God, not you know, liberté, égalité, fraternité. They actually wanted something more than that. And then it led to uh, the tyrant Napoleon, the autocrat in charge, and then eventually the restoration of the monarchy, right? So it, it was a failure. Our experiment here in America, natural law, God, this worked. The revolution in France that they pretended was modeled on ours went off the rails. Why? Because radical equality and not the individual rights of human beings and contracts and private property still being held sacred by the state, uh, they took a different direction. Now, we could have a whole, I could do a whole shows for you on the French Revolution. We could talk more about that. But if you see, now I probably have just committed to that. I still owe you a Malta podcast, which people have started to remind me of this week, and I have not forgotten. I think it'll be there for Fourth of July weekend. All right, that's my new plan. But here's what, here's what I want us to remember as we're, having this conversation because we're going to get dragged through this um they're not really trying to make things better they they pretend that they're going to make things better but nobody no serious person believes that all of us bending the knee and pretending for example that a noose that's not a noose but that some people could think is a noose that wasn't directed at an african-american african-american but was used to pull down a garage door wall street journal still writing think pieces on this well it is really a noose 
and it wasn't put there for him, but, you know, it's still a noose that existed, and we have to eradicate these ropes from society that are used to pull down garage doors. It's crazy. It's crazy. We are being dragged through a mass hysteria because the country has been so psychologically damaged by these lockdowns, and people are exploiting it. That's what's really happening. And there's a lot of rage and anger against Trump, which is also being just mixed into this stew of anger and division and despair and outrage and demands for power. Right. All of this is coming together at this point. But I, I want to say we're, we're not even having we're not even focusing on the right things as a, as a country here on this show. I think we certainly are. But as a country, the conversation is increasingly um, one that we can see as, uh, as a massive power grab and also a catharsis for a, 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 an insanity that has been bubbling up on the left for a long time. Right. This is their their expelling their their purging all this rage against Trump that he could be president for three years and everything goes so well. Now, oh, COVID-19 hits. Let's just tear the country. This is their opening to tear the country, tear the country down and blame Trump for it and then have the rise of the Democrat Party going forward. And there will be no lessons learned from all of their whether it's the soft coup or the Trump is a fascist and all the things that they've said. In fact, they'll view that as a worthwhile part of the resistance to get us to this point where they could make everybody miserable and vote Trump out of office. That's really the plan. It's not about making this a better, safer, happier country, uh, because none of the things that are being discussed are they're not intelligent. They're not workable. I mean, at the national level, we're we're all being forced to play along with a fantasy, right? The fantasy that this is a deeply racist country, that our cops are evil racists, that the only reason for any of the disparity in crime rates in different communities across the country is the evil system and the cops who are the stormtroopers of it. You know, that's the that's the lie that we're all being told. OK, we all have to play along with this. We all have to do this. I say no. I say at least this place, the Freedom Hut, gets to be an island of sanity amidst all that noise. And I think we'll continue to be just that. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You said burn it down. It's time. So that makes me think that you want to burn it down. I said if this country... If this country doesn't give us what we want, then we will burn down this system and replace it. All right. And I could be speaking figuratively. I could be speaking literally. It's a matter of interpretation. That's what we would call a veiled threat or maybe just a threat. That was on Fox News last night on Martha McCallum's show. A a leader, a self-described. I haven't heard anyone challenge this. Um a Black Lives Matter leader, BLM, who is telling us that this is this is not a negotiation. And I want everyone to be very clear on this. The true radicals in this movement, I mean, the true believers, because it is a radical movement to start with. But the true believers, they they're making demands. This is not I keep returning to this. This is not a dialogue. They're not asking for your input. They, they pretend that this is all about the data and the science and what the numbers say. No, that's all, please. These marches in the streets are all meant to show people not just the numbers that they can get in support of this movement, but that 
if you don't do what they say, then some percentage of these marches are going to trash your neighborhood. And maybe they'll even show up outside your house. This is a threat. This is a threat against the system explicitly by a group that is just the vanguard of the Democrat Party lunatics. That's what's happening here. I mean, the Democrat Party no longer, I think, is even making an effort to have any bipartisan solution. I mean, they don't even pretend. They, sometimes they'll go through this, oh, we'll talk to the other side. No. On these issues, they want to let the, the radicals go out there and lay the groundwork for a Democrat system takeover. If the, if the Black Lives Matter movement was not was not an extension of the actual Democrat Party apparatus, why are there never any words of criticism about the truth of American cities that have been in Democrat hands for decades that aren't able to have the progress that we're supposed to have, right? That that aren't able to fix these problems. Why is it that you can have a Democrat chief of police in a minority-majority uh, police force and a Democrat chief of police and a Democrat mayor in a place like uh, Atlanta, for example. And the Black Lives Matter movement is never criticizing the Democrat politicians in charge. Of course not. They're making these demands, but it's all meant to be taken as Trump is the problem. Republicans are at fault. White supremacy is what's really being attacked here. How are you going to let let me ask this, if this isn't just about agitation, Marxist agitation, creating divisions in society, exploiting them, making people fearful to share thoughts, never mind to take actions that are not part of what the the new system you described it, they're going to replace it with a new system, right? We've seen what that looks like in other countries. Let's go read, go read a little bit about what it was like under the Soviets. It's not fun. Or, or just read about Venezuela. It's not fun. Not a good place. But they understand that right now there's so much fear that even those who recognize this for the destructive farce that it is, they won't speak out. And you know why? In a country where we're being told we're racist all the time, socially, the most terrifying thing that you could really be called, that you could be considered is a racist there are uh, you could argue maybe maybe being an abuser of children is worse that's it racist an epithet that will ruin your life but we're told that there's so much white supremacy all across society thanks for listening to the bus sex and show podcast remember to subscribe on apple podcast the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts in other words for something to happen they're going to have to face the realities of police brutality, the rally of the need for justice in policing, and the recognition that there are many, many good people in, in um, law enforcement, but not all, and that we have to address those concerns. Uh, so when they admit that and, and have some suggestions that are worthy of consideration, but so far they were trying to get away with murder, actually, the murder of George Floyd. What a reckless and stupid thing for Nancy Pelosi to say. I I wish, I wish that I could tell you that this was the result of 
Nancy having uh, one too many white wine spritzers out on the out on the v- veranda or the balcony or whatever of her mansion in the San Francisco Bay Area. But no, because she actually doubled down on this one. Play clip two. When you were speaking yesterday, you said that Republicans are, quote, trying to get away with murder, actually, the murder of George Floyd. Senate Republicans are demanding an apology for that statement. Will you apologize? Absolutely, positively not. Uh, The fact is, people say, I think you, frankly, in the press have given them far too much credit for a bill that does nothing. They're saying, well, you have your bill, they have theirs. Yeah, our bill does something, theirs does nothing. It seems Scott working in good faith, I guess. I'm sorry? Is Tim Scott working in good faith? Is this a good starting point? I'm talking about Mitch McConnell. I'm talking about Mitch McConnell. Talking about Mitch McConnell. Yeah, sure she is. Of course. Um, Because Nancy Pelosi knows a lot about law enforcement and policing, and she's a serious person that intelligent people should listen to on any complicated matter of social policy or law and justice. Nope. Has no idea what she's talking about. Nancy Pelosi is a nincompoop, a very powerful and rich nincompoop. We have a lot of those in America. Just, just take a little gander around the Twitter accounts of Hollywood celebrities, people who have won the, won the lottery. Oh, they're so talented. Yeah, there's a lot of talented people running around Hollywood, but some people get very lucky. Luck is a real thing in life. Better lucky than good. I think that's true. It's even true of some people in conservative media. But Pelosi saying this just shows you there's no effort to Notice how she never talks about, okay, what do they want? There's no effort to reach out to the other side and have police reform in a serious fashion here. They should be asking her, hey, Nancy Pelosi, what do you think? If we had a real press corps that was trying to find stuff out, um, they would ask Nancy Pelosi, what do you think about using the U.S. Marshals to protect federal monuments? Push her on that issue and, and see what she says. She'd be, I went to other places, other places, you know, but I just, I, I mean. She would have no idea. No idea what to say. No idea what to do. Because she just is, is part of this Democrat agitation machine where people who have been in power for a long time and people who have had plenty of opportunities to address these inequalities do the Alinsky tactic of mobilize people based on rage and emotion, pick an enemy, isolate it, freeze it, make that enemy the problem, and guess what happens? You've gotten them to destroy your, your competition, your opposition. And then you can do whatever you want. There's no accountability for you at that point. It's all Nancy Pelosi's trying to do here. This is textbook power politics from people who are ruthless and absolutely not slowed in the least by ethics or concerns about the country or what's going to happen. Uh, Those people are called Democrats. I'm happy that I'm seeing more of this now. And, you know, I've been saying this here on the show for weeks on a few of Tucker's recent monologues. He he has referred to the the uh, the Black Lives Matter movement as the paramilitary arm or the the activist arm or the, you know, and, and throwing Antifa in there, too, of the Democrat Party, right? That, that, that that's effectively what this is, that these are people out in the streets, they're activists, they're agitators, and they're going after, and, and people are talking about how sometimes this is domestic terrorism, burning down buildings and saying, give us what we want or else, 
is domestic terrorism. What is the definition of terrorism? Using violence or threats of violence to get something political. What is this movement doing? Oh, that does sound like there are some acts of domestic terrorism. And Antifa... Antifa, for example may be a group that we have to look at now and understand is a domestic terrorist group. But now, I don't think that that alone is going to be enough to solve this problem, right? I don't think that that alone is going to change things. Uh, but I do think that we should at least speak honestly and openly about this. And remember, I, I, I give Nancy Pelosi a hard time, but it's not just Pelosi. It's not just Pelosi that is saying stuff like this, which is, can we also just say, reckless Absolutely. Republicans are trying to get away with the murder of George Floyd. The guy who killed George Floyd is facing life in prison. I'm going to ask this question, though. I'm just asking a question. And I really mean this. I am just asking a question. Why haven't we seen the body cam footage of the arrest of George Floyd? It might be nothing. And I, and I believe that it might not really tell us very much at all. But I do think we should see it. Don't you? Isn't the purpose of the body cam footage so that there's full transparency? Why haven't we seen that yet? Oh, people, oh, people are, I will tell you right now, people are scared to even ask that question. It's not possible to believe in due process and not also believe in transparency. Due process for the officer, due process for the family of the man who was killed here, George Floyd. We should all know everything that happened. That's the way that a society, that's the way that, that a people, the American people, can can look at issues and come to solutions if things are hidden from us how can we know but nobody will even ask this right now everyone's everyone is avoiding avoiding very uh, sensitive areas of discussion at a time and we're told that the whole point is to get discussion going that's obviously not true but the recklessness of the democrats is on display constantly trying to make sure that we all know you step out of line, we'll, we'll accuse you of being complicit in the murder of a man whose murder has been used by the activist left, Democrat Party, as a justification for destruction and violence and, and hatred. That's what's happening. You know, the, the people that are out there protesting, first of all, you see the way that some of these young white women uh, that have been on videos taken by my friend Henry Rogers, the Daily Caller, are screaming at cops and just saying that they're part of, you know, white supremacists. And they'll scream this at black cops in D.C., part of a white supremacist system, and that they're, how do they sleep at night and all this stuff. Do they, do they really not understand what happens in society if we don't have cops? Unfortunately, I think the answer is they don't. These people are unhinged. They're deranged. No serious person who considers himself to have good judgment, any knowledge of history, and really any intellectual ability thinks that a society without law enforcement officers is going to function well. I mean, it's going to turn into a nightmare and there'll be a tremendous amount of misery and pain and violence because of that decision. They can't see that. No, they they want to talk about there's an article circulating today. Let's get rid of the national anthem. And, and the author advises that um, we should replace it with John Legend's Imagine. Yeah, that's where we are now. Replace it with John. I'm sorry. Did I say John Legend? I meant John Lennon. I might have said John Legend. I meant John Lennon. Uh, John Lennon's Imagine. And guess what? 
that's I mean, I'm, I'm going to say it. I'm not a huge Beatles fan. I think the Beatles have a lot of bad songs. Um, I think the Beatles have a lot of bad songs. And Imagine, which is a Lennon song, not even really a Beatles song, is is a bad song. It's uh, it's stupid as I mean, the lyrics are dumb and it's not fun to listen to. And it's kind of depressing. But this is where we are now. We're going to start arguing about things like this. Yeah, let's imagine the people. Oh, it's horrible. It's a horrible song. I can't even. Speaking of songs and music and these little cultural fights that are going to keep playing out, more people bending the knee. The Dixie Chicks, no longer known as the Dixie Chicks. As of today, <laughs> they're just called <laughs> they're just called the Chicks. Okay. Racism solved. Good job, Dixie Chicks. I'm sorry, Chicks. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. And what did you make Senator Durbin of Speaker Pelosi saying Republicans are trying to, quote, get away with the murder of George Floyd? Well, she has explained what what that was all about, and I'll stand by her words on this. But we shouldn't let something this historic and this meaningful be diverted by one word here, one word there. You know, each of us uh, who does this for a living counts on uh, being a wordsmith at the right moment. Sometimes we're better than others. Stands by her words, Dick Durbin. So I don't think it's just Pelosi saying Republicans are complicit in the murder of George Floyd. I don't know what could be more inflammatory and idiotic than that, but that's Nancy Pelosi for you. Hey, sometimes I like to just set the fire and see where what happens. Um, then you've also got the reality of what this means now in places where people think that Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats are being honest in this conversation that they really want to make things better they want to improve this country they they don't but they know that right now as i've said make america miserable again that is the democrat plan that's all they have to do and they will win and they'll figure it out after they win they don't care they, they get this this empty vessel of joe biden i'm kind of just a little too old and like to yell and kind of a dumbass but you know, I've been in politics, man. I've, I've been in politics a long time. Let's have a push-up contest. Uh, that's Joe Biden for you. But places are suffering. There's actual bad stuff happening because of the insanity of this movement right now, which then brings me to, um, well, uh, Senator Kennedy, I thought, down in Louisiana, had a, good, had a good line on this one. And also, he's just, you know, I, I, I love a good Southern accent, but Kennedy, man, his is great. Uh, play clip nine. We have people on Capitol Hill, I'm sad to say, that think cops are uh, guilty until proven innocent. And I'm going to say what I said the other day. If you hate cops just because you're co- they're cops, next time you get in trouble, call a crackhead. Uh, I don't think, I, I don't think, well, let me put it another way. I think we got more honest cops than we got honest politicians. We definitely have more honest cops than we do honest politicians, so that's a good line. And, and yeah, I mean, if you don't like cops, what are you going to do when bad things happen to you? What are you going to do when they come for you? Bad boys, bad boys. I mean, it's, we can't even watch it anymore. The show is gone. I remember back, I remember being a, like a really young kid, and you know, I'd sometimes get to go in and sneak into my parents' room as they were watching the show or movie, and if I was kind of quiet and well-behaved, I'd just sort of you know, sit on the floor or whatever, and uh, and they would watch that. My dad used to watch that show sometimes. 
And yeah, man, the cops are the good guys. It shows you what it's like to be a cop. And they are the good guys and gals, of course. Uh, But speaking of what happens when you don't have cops, we're getting a, a neighborhood in Minneapolis. And I know we're on a great station up in Minneapolis and we've got a really loyal audience there and it's growing every month. So thank you very much for that. And uh, my heart goes out to all of the team buck in the Minneapolis area because, man, that city is just ground zero for the crazy right now. It really is. So there's this this area um, called Powderhorn Park. And the decision was made because people started showing up here, uh, vagrants and such. People decided in this area that they weren't going to call the cops. They wanted to be welcoming. They wanted to be welcoming. And now, guess what ends up happening? Well, when you take an area, when you take a park where you're creating not a cop-free zone, it's not quite as bad as Seattle, but where no one's going to call the cops on what's going on, the police can't be everywhere, so, and they probably don't want to get involved in this situation at all, what you have is now an area where there's a lot of bad stuff happening. Oh, my gosh, you mean that... When you refuse to call police because you think calling cops is racist, bringing in the cops is racist. When you when you refuse to do that, uh, bad things are going to happen. Yeah, this was the Daily Mail piece. Minneapolis neighborhood that vowed not to call cops after George Floyd's death is now struggling with a 300 person homeless camp plagued by drug dealers in their local park. Yeah. So here they've they've set up this. It's effectively like an Occupy encampment. And this was those who live nearby to where Floyd was killed. The hands of cops on 25th of May welcomed dozens of tents to Powderhorn Park while the displaced people look for permanent accommodation, urging officials not to evict them for now. But in the past two weeks, they've been using the open space. Some, ha- some people house have complained about a heavy flow of traffic at night, keeping them up and drug dealers. And two people have already uh, overdosed and been carted away by the uh, EMS services. Yep, that's right. Uh, people think that they're it's fine. You know, we're not going to call the cops. A lot of drug dealing going on. Bad things are going to happen here. But don't call to call the cops on those displaced into this park would be racist. Uh, okay. This reminds me a little bit of uh, from my from my childhood. I, I lived on the east side in Manhattan at a time when all of Manhattan was pretty sketchy at night. And there was a, an encampment that was set up and it was under a, a temple, a Jewish temple, because it had an overhang over the street so it wasn't inside the temple but there was an area that was sheltered and this became an open air homeless and and vagrant shelter although it wasn't supposed to be and you would have 50 to 100 people who would show up and and there was a city councilman here in new york this is i remember this very well from when i was a kid city councilman in new york and they would show up and give out little cooking stoves and they would give out um, you know, mattresses and, and cardboard boxes and, and they would set up this encampment. And this was right around the corner. I mean, 50 feet from the entrance of the building that I lived in with my whole family. And I was a little kid Then I remember at night hearing the, you know, the yells from in there and everything else. And this was in what would be considered a well-off neighborhood in New York, but the city council didn't want to move them. 
didn't want to move. That would be that would be, I don't know, racist or not enough social justice if you move them. And they had to and the city council that and the NYPD, this is under the Dinkins administration. They wouldn't deal with it. That uh, that Jewish temple had to raise, I think it was a million dollars to build a steel gate to put up because the city would not clear out this open air homeless shelter that I remember being a little 10 year old kid, you know, holding my mom's hand, going to church and thinking this doesn't feel safe because it wasn't. But that's liberal Democrat policy for you, folks. That's what it gets you. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. It is exactly as I predicted. And, and others as well. I don't like to be the guy who's like, oh, I see everything coming, you know. I'm the smartest. No, I actually like to give credit where it's due. And many of my fellow conservatives out there were uh, prescient on this, saw this one coming. But I've been hitting it hard because I know here in New York City, this is, I knew it was going to happen. And I know that this media can justify, think of it this way, if they can justify being a part of the soft coup attempt against the president, weaponizing DOJ and FBI and the rest of the intelligence community with this Russia collusion fairy tale, not a very good fairy tale, but a total farce and a lie. If they'll go along with that, what won't they go along with, right? Where will they draw the line? The answer is whatever is useful for them, that's what they'll do. Whatever lie helps, whatever narrative pushes forward their interests, that becomes all that matters. That is the only organizing principle. That's the only thing that matters to them. And that's why it was so clear, so abundantly clear that they would, the moment, the moment it was advantageous for the Democrats, uh, pretend that we haven't been through weeks of protests where there was likely spread of COVID-19, and all of a sudden we're hearing about, oh, the reopening and the Trump rallies and the reopening and the Trump rallies. And I want to dig into this right now. Now, there are some aspects of this that are not clear. One aspect that is, meaning that when we look at the numbers, and I'm going to tell you, I, I don't have all the answers. If I did, I should be the space lord, god, superstar, ninja, freedom hut commander in chief or something. You know, I, I, I'm not perfect. I'm not uh, all knowing. And we already all know that for sure. Where's producer Mark to chime in? Oh, that's right. He's off this week. I was going to say this is usually where he'd be like, yeah, that's right. Not perfect, Buck. Uh, but we miss him. I know we miss him. But here's here's what I will say. There are the morons out there, uh, the people that are just going to pretend well, again, there's no accountability mechanism because their audience just wants to hear the stuff that they're saying. And normal people who are intelligent don't watch normal people who are honest and want real analysis from people who are highly literate, intelligent, honest and worthwhile. They don't watch Morning Joe. Right. So, you know, you get what you pay for, so to speak, by spending your time watching Morning Joe. But, you know, here is what he'll say exactly as we knew he would and others play clip four in any area that kills that will kill senior citizens arizona senior citizens their lives just got a lot more complicated after the super spreader event that donald trump pushed in arizona so he could do what so he could spread conspiracy theories about american democracy 
And so he could say racist uh, ramblings uh, meant to inspire his 35 percent. When it was helpful for his ratings and his media profile, Joe Scarborough couldn't couldn't kiss up to Trump enough. Let's remember that. And then they had a falling out for whatever reason. And now he is a Trump deranged lunatic. But let's remember, uh, Joe Scarborough had no things to say like this about the super spreader events that were the looting and the rioters and the protesters. There were actually precautions that were taken at the Tulsa rally and they're doing temperature checks and they passed out masks. They did things like that. But we're going to pretend that the looters are like, whoa, whoa, hold on. Before you run off with that bag from Dolce and Gabbana or Gucci or Coach or whatever, has someone taken a temperature check? Because you're closer than six feet to me. Of course not. Of course not. So here is what's really happening. Um, I, I have some of the numbers I've been looking at them, trying to get a sense of what we're really facing. And I think it's very, very important that we all know that the media is going to lie about this from now until Election Day. You will not have an honest. This is a life and death issue. It is. COVID-19 is a life and death issue. And the media will not be honest about this. It is more important to them that their power, their narrative and their political party are advantaged through all of this than anything else. That, that's what has been proven to us by the silence about COVID-19 during the BLM protests and riots. And now the sudden, oh my gosh, look at this, look what's going on. So let's, let's take a moment, shall we? Um, there are more cases now. There are more cases than at any point since April. 45,500 cases in a day. That has, that's the number that's getting everyone's attention. Now, a portion of, there, there's what we know, there's what they're lying about, and there's what we don't know. We need to break these down. This is how to have a serious, this because it does really matter. Uh, there's 45,500 cases in a day. That's the new record. And California, Texas, and Florida are the states where we've seen the numbers spike the most in terms of cases. Cases alone is not a particularly useful metric because we are also testing a lot more and on a per capita basis have tested a lot more than Europe. Now, Europe has not had a resurgence. So the, and, and I'm going to be jumping around between what we know, what we don't know, and what they're lying about. Europe has not had a resurgence the way that we've seen in some of these uh, places, or a spike, you could say, that we've seen. It's a spike, really, in this case, because we haven't had cases like this before in Arizona and in in Florida and in Texas. Um, So this is not an area where we really know quite yet. We don't have a full understanding of what has caused this. But cases alone don't really mean all that much. There's more testing. I also will, will point out that, remember how I was telling you last month and the month before that tracing, this is a fantasy, that at this stage of an epidemic to do tracing is, is preposterous? I was right. Oh, we're going to find, you're, there's 45,000 cases in a day, one day, 45,000 people, okay, are, are test positive for COVID-19, and we're going to trace everyone they've been in contact with for the last two weeks? Uh, this is, it's so, but that goes, remember, the experts were telling you, we're going to do trace, we're going to do trace. Oh, it works very well. 
And I was saying, this is insane. I'm not going to trace this. If the virus had effectively entirely disappeared, right, and then you set up trace programs for a resurgence of the virus to try to get ahead of it in some places, maybe then there could be some usefulness to it. But to pretend, I mean, we have been slowed in New York in the reopening, for example, because we don't have enough tracers. What? You're never going to be able to trace. It's already, there's community spread all over the country. There's people moving around now in New York and, and Connecticut and New Jersey. There's voluntary quarantines that are going in place. Instead of looking at what we've learned, though, remember, the quarantine's not really voluntary, but it's on the honor system, so it's voluntary. How are they, they going to, they're going to stop people with out-of-state license plates now? This is, this is crazy. But what you're hearing is, a lot of uh, despair around the issue that then very quickly transitions into its Republicans' fault, right? Um, here you have a perfect example of this. Governor, Governor Cuomo, who presided over, over the worst response to COVID-19 of any person in the country. Uh, what do I mean by person? Uh, a person, play uh, Governor Cuomo, talking about others using this for political reasons as he does exactly that. Play clip three. I say to them all, look at the numbers. You played politics with this virus and you lost. You told the people of your state and you told the people of this country, White House, uh, don't worry about it. Just open up, go about your business. This is all uh, democratic uh, uh, hyperbole. Oh, really? Uh, now you see 27 states with the numbers going up. You see the death projections going up. You see the economy going down. It was never politics. It was always science. Uh, and they were in denial. And denial is not a life strategy. Uh, you see uh, now they're saying, well, don't worry. They, it's not really that the virus is going up. Just the testing numbers are going up. I don't even know what that means mathematically. Uh, and forget that. Your hospital beds are filling up. You know what that means when your hospital beds fill up? It means more people are getting sick. That's what's happening. And it's now undeniable. This country paid a terrible price. Yeah, paid a terrible price, certainly in New York, where we had over 5,000 seniors die in nursing homes that were filled with people who were COVID positive because Cuomo said that's where they have to go. The dumbest, most reckless, most lethal decision that could be made. Remember, this virus is still really only a danger to people who are over 60, and it's mostly over 70. I believe the median age of fatalities in this country from COVID-19 is over 80. The median age, not the average age. But this is a disease that is very dangerous to one segment of our society, um, and it is to our seniors. And I know for a lot of us, that's, that's either those of you listening to this, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas. So, of course, we need to take precautions to protect seniors. But... We also have to remember what has been learned the hard way through this. We had a total lockdown in New York City. And you know what happened? There were still a lot of cases, a lot of people. We were locked down for weeks and weeks and weeks and we had a lot of cases. And if you look at places in Europe where they had lockdowns that were severe versus lockdowns that were not that severe, they, there's, they, they can't prove a correlation between the severity of lockdown and uh, and saving lives. They actually can't prove this in Europe. They, they're like, well, we, we, there's a lot about this disease that we don't even understand yet, a lot about the spread that we don't understand. And anybody who's going to challenge me on this or say, oh, you know, you don't know, all I do is read about this all the time. 
And we know that they said no masks and then maybe masks and now definitely masks. And okay, well, you can get it in your eyes if it's aerosolized. So we're going to do mask and goggles. At what point does this become so absurd that no one's going to comply anymore? Um, also, aerosolized virus droplets, we, we, we think we're told that masks are really useful against this. Mm. CDC has a study on influenza virus and mask wearing and, you know, how much does it, how much did it help? The CDC study said it doesn't really seem like it helps very much at all, but you got to wear the mask. Cuomo said, wear a mask. It's about the sign. And Cuomo's had the worst responses, the most cases, the most deaths, the dumbest decisions. And now he's lecturing other places. I think Florida has had about three or 4,000 deaths total. New York has had 30,000. Florida has a lot of seniors, dense population. No, uh, Cuomo is in no position to lecture anybody about this. Uh, well, how does he not understand that more testing means more cases? Yeah, you idiot. If you're catching about 10% of actual cases uh, that are happening in a community, and then you do more and more testing and you're catching 20% of cases, your number of cases will go up, but it's not that more people are infected. This is not hard to understand. And he brings up hospitalizations. Concerning. That's a real... That's See, this is where I get into the, we don't know. I don't pretend to know everything. We don't know. There is a dynamic where people are going to the hospital and they had not been going before and they are tested for COVID when they're there and they're positive. They did not know. So that's a, and they're considered a COVID hospital admit. The real number that the real thing that we have to figure out here is how many people are in the ICU because of COVID-19 now. And yes, how many people are dying from COVID-19, not dying and have COVID-19, which is another, you know, the, the numbers here are very, you have to parse them. You have to get very specific. Otherwise, you just go into this, cycle of panic as, oh, well, are we actually seeing more cases? Are we actually uh, in, a, in a phase two of the, or a 2.0 of the virus spread, or is this just the continuation of the original spread? We have to ask these questions, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to remind everybody here of something that's really important, because this, it's all over. If we go into the election and they're still, oh my gosh, we're in lockdowns and panic, Trump loses. Trump loses. Democrats know that. Everybody should know that. It's done. He's not going to win. So you got to remember that as they're telling us all this information. But there's something else. They lied to us about the purpose of the lockdowns. Let me repeat. They lied to us about the purpose of the lockdowns. Government-wide. Let's talk more about it. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I've been getting up at 4.30 in the morning every day for five months. I go to bed at 11.30 every night. All I do is read and immerse myself in this virus. I talk to people all over the world trying to figure out what's going on, and I cannot believe that we are in the predicament that we are in right now. With all that we have known, with all the, the, the bells that have been sounded, the alarms that have been made across the world, I cannot believe we're in the position that we're in right now. We're the greatest country on earth. We should have been able to figure this out early. We should have been able to test, and now we're still having arguments about 
whether or not we should put these uh, these band-aids on the problem, such as masks, effective band-aids, but still band-aids on this problem. And we're still not even sure that we want to do that. We got we got a patient bleeding out in front of us. We know what to do and we are not doing it. And it is. Yeah, it, it's frustrating for sure. Dr. Sanjay Gupta over at CNN, we know what to do. Um, like what? What are we supposed to do? I, I just, oh, lockdown again? Is that the plan? Lockdown again. There was a period in New York where I'm telling you it was a total ghost town here, okay? And everybody, and I mean everybody, was wearing masks. And guess what? The virus was still spreading in the community. So if the virus is still going to spread, even when people are in absolute panic, as we were here, and we had the worst COVID outbreak of anywhere in the country, if the virus is, in that, is that easy to spread then, what is the answer? What are they really, are we really just supposed to stay locked in our homes forever? Is, is, that the, is that what we're going to do? Because I'm also going to point out that the virus may very well have mutations that don't make it that much less lethal, but do make it hard for a vaccine to give permanent immunity. We don't have great treatments for it yet. We have some treatments that are a little bit, you know, there's dexamethasone, for example. We have some treatments that are working for it uh, a little bit, but just a little bit. I mean, that's only, and that's only if you're in the hospital and you're really close to death's door. I mean, they're not using these as a prophylactic. They're not using these as a means of stopping people from getting this. But why did I say that we were lied to about this? To get us to comply with the initial lockdown, what was the argument? It wasn't that we're going to stop the virus from spreading. That was not what we were told. And I have not forgotten. We were told it was to keep hospitals from being overwhelmed. We went through periods of weeks, months of unrestrained spread throughout the entire United States. We had places like New York City hit incredibly hard with it. Was a single hospital system overwhelmed? Was a single hospital unable to treat a patient? No. So do we think that we're, we're now going, is that going to happen now? Is that what we're being told? Oh, now it's going to be because there's been some restriction. I don't have all the answers, but I also have questions that I don't have answers to. Why is it that we've been in, we've been had states where there was reopening, more contact with people, reopening. Georgia was one of them. Texas, Florida opened for weeks and weeks and weeks. And they didn't see the, the hospitals getting fuller and fuller and more and more people dying. Dr. Gupta is pretending like we all know the answer. No, we don't have the answers. We don't know. But here's one answer I have for you. No second lockdowns. We push through. We fight on. This is America. I'm not living in some totalitarian idiocracy where the protests are fine, but the rest of life isn't. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Look, we haven't had a lot of good news to celebrate from the courts recently. That's putting it mildly. It has been a really rough patch for constitutionalism and for people who... Um, think that the law is something that is written, that is intelligible, that is understandable by all people based on what the words are, not based on what some people would like the words to have been. 
not the same thing. And so with that, I take you to the Supreme Court in a 7-2 decision. Now, here's the thing. This is a victory, but it also goes to show you just how extreme the Democrat position, and particularly the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is just a bunch of left-wing activist lunatics, who are, an, who are an appeals, you know, or an appeals court, federal court. I mean, this is a, a powerful body in United States law, and they're just unhinged, so unhinged that even some of the libs on the court here had to be like, okay, you, you, can't, you can't do this. You know, this is even beyond where we'll get there eventually. Don't worry, we're progressives, we're libs. But right now, it's just too much to push for this. So, uh, the way that this is being framed, the way the media is reporting on this, is that a 7-2 ruling, this is NBC News, allows people to be deported without judicial review of their cases. <gasps> oh, oh no, this seems so harsh. This seems like such a, a policy that's slapping the Statue of Liberty in the face. How could we have this? How could we do this? Well, it turns out when you look at the case, it's very clear why this is the ruling that has come down from the Supreme Court just earlier today. And remember, 7-2, so it's not a 5-4 decision. This is, a, this is very clear. It's just the extreme super libs. I mean, Sotomayor is effectively an activist of the left who's now sitting on the Supreme Court. You know, she is someone who, uh, anything that you would expect, any of these HR directors that are constantly handing you pamphlets on diversity and inclusion and, you know, how dare you question anything I say. Uh, she, she's in line ideologically with that left-wing activist Democrat movement. Uh, but here's the, the, the background of the case. You understand this. A guy named Vijaya Kumar Thuraisigayam of Sri Lanka uh, was detained by federal agents within 25 miles of the U.S.-Mexico border. And he claimed, because he was obviously told this by a lot of people before he got to the border, because the cartels, remember, the cartels make a lot of money off the human smuggling operation. You know, you're, you're not going to get close to the border unless the cartel, and make a run for it unless the cartel is getting paid off. They make big money from this. So it's a criminal enterprise. It's a criminal act to enter the U.S. illegally, and it's a criminal enterprise to, uh, that, that, that benefits from it, makes money off of the human smuggling aspect. So he, he claimed asylum because he said a group of men kidnapped and beat him in his home country, and he faced harm because of that. And he says he thinks it's because he's a Tamil minority. Right. You have the Tamil and the Sinhalese uh, in Sri Lanka and the Sinhalese are the majority. There's a Tamil minority. You've probably heard of the Tamil Tigers, a terrorist organization. Uh, So, yeah, this is this is a guy claiming, well, I was beat up because I'm a Tamil. So now give me asylum. And they said, well, hold on. How do you know you're beat up because you were a Tamil? Oh, he doesn't know what's really his story. Uh, It's not really clear. So he, he just came up with this. Look, he, he couldn't claim he's not a Syrian refugee, right? So he, he has to try to tailor the story to where he's from. He couldn't claim MS-13 back in El Salvador, for example, was threatening him. So he came up with something else. Well, he managed to get in front of immigration officials. And the immigration officials said, uh, 
that, no, your story, sorry, you don't qualify for asylum, and they quickly deported him. This was upheld, this was fine, and then he tried to challenge and say, no, he should have the due process right as somebody captured illegally entering, as he's entering the United States, he should have due process rights to challenge in federal court his detention. I'm sorry, his, uh, his expulsion, rather, his removal from the United States. Now, just think about what that would mean. Any single person caught entering the United States illegally would have the due process right to, and they're going to have a, a counsel provided for them, they're going to be able to go before a federal judge and, and challenge their, um, their deportation. Every single person who's caught would therefore have to be kept in the United States, believe they're going to show up to federal court, have a court-appointed lawyer, and then get to go and, and argue why they should be allowed in the United States. This is all the federal courts would be doing. This is not... He had the due process in this case was given by the agents who caught you and said, what's your story? Not good enough for a credible fear test. You have to go. That is your due process. You don't have more due process than that. That is your due process. Other people that you're thinking, well, Buck, hold on. What about all these other migrants that have been coming? Yeah, they were coached and passing their credible fear standard. This guy's story essentially fell apart and it's clear that he just wanted to come into America and the immigration agents who caught him, you know, border patrol and immigration and customs enforcement were like, sorry, your story's not credible. You're going. And he's saying, no, 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 I get to tell it to a judge. What you had had with other people was they did have what at least sounded, and it's a very low bar, sounded like a credible fear standard. Oh, MS-13 is going to kill me if I go home. Why you? Oh, because my neighborhood is overrun with MS-13. But people had this, this story that they would tell, and they would then pass the credible fear, and then they get into the immigration system with the court, and they wouldn't show up to court, or if they did, they kept challenging it. But this is a very straightforward, um, very straightforward judgment here, which is that we can have enforcement of the border, and you don't get to start just getting in. You're not a U.S. citizen. You have no rights specifically to challenge this order. Um, you're not here legally in any context. We're not going to start filling the court system with challenges and then appeals and then more challenges of people who are caught entering the border illegally as they're entering. Think about what this would mean. It's a great, all you have to do is go up, get caught, and now you get to get your day in court in the United States. Where are you going to be waiting for that day in court? Uh, in the United States. You get to stay. You get to say, stay. The, the Ninth Circuit said that the, the, uh, the and this guy, look, the, the, they brought a, habeas corp, uh, corpus challenge here. Um, and they also found that they, 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 the Ninth Circuit of Appeals Court, the crazy court, the Ninth Circus, as people call it, also found that there was a due, it's really a due process violation. Um, and he said, and this was Alito writing for the majority, quote, habeas has traditionally been a means to secure release from unlawful detention, but respondent invokes the writ to achieve an entirely different end namely to obtain additional administrative review of his asylum claim and ultimately to obtain authorization to stay in this country. Aliens who have established connections in this country have a due process right, Alito said, 
but he, but he wrote that Thuraisigiam attempted to enter the country illegally and was apprehended, ju- apprehended just 25 yards from the border. He therefore has no entitlement to procedural rights other than those afforded by the statute. Amazing, isn't it? Um, this is the ACLU, of course, which is a left-wing organization, not about liberty at all, but meant to destroy America. Uh, ACLU is upset about this. They said the ruling, quote, fails to live up to the Constitution's bedrock principle that individuals deprived of their liberty have their day in court. And that, this includes asylum seekers. No, their asylum claim was heard through the process and they did not pass the initial credible fear test. That's what the statute says. The statute doesn't say you get to show up and you get to just automatically go to court. The law is supposed to have meaning. Um, Sotomayor in her dissent, which was joined by Kagan, said the majority's decision handcuffs, this is all from CNBC, the judiciary's ability to perform its constitutional duty to safeguard individual liberty and dismantles a critical component of the separation of powers. They're, They're delusional. We have a law. The law says that this is how we secure our border. And if you are not a U.S. citizen, you are um, not able. You are not able to just keep going through the legal process and get all the all the protections afforded. And if you're not even in the country legally at all, even as a, as a visitor, as an as an alien who's here on a visa. You know, think about what anyway, it's but this the fact that there are Democrats activist Democrats on the Supreme Court who can't even agree that this is a lawful usage of immigration powers by immigration authorities just goes to show you. I mean, they are completely, it it doesn't matter what the law says. They're activists who are trying to seek an outcome. Democrats do this all the time. The Ninth Circuit, exactly the same thing. Activists seeking an outcome, undermining law at its very essence. That's what they do. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You know, we have uh, a record this year on crime, a record positive rating on crime this year, the best. And you hear about certain places like Chicago and you hear about what's going on in Detroit and other other cities, all Democrat run. Every one of them is Democrat run. 20 out of 20, 20 worst, the 20 most dangerous are Democrat run. We have uh, one city or two cities in particular, worse than Honduras, worse than Afghanistan, worse than Afghanistan. Uh, And these are cities within the United States, Democrat run, radical left run. You see what's going on in Seattle. You see what's going on in other places. Seattle of all places. Who would even think that's possible? 20 out of 20. The Democrats want to weaken very substantially our law enforcement and our police. And frankly, they want to defund largely, at least largely. Uh, There are some that want to defund and abolish our police, if you can believe that. And uh, we're not letting that happen. Notice that the president, what he's saying here is absolutely true. Democrats are in control of all of these cities. We know that. And there's never any blowback against the Democratic Party for this. They're never held responsible. There's something that there's a dynamic that's going on here. And I, I know this dynamic because of what happens in New York City, what happens in Washington, D.C., cities that I've lived in and where I know people, either I myself worked in the police and security uh, realm or, or many, many friends of mine in the case of D.C. Uh, worked in the police and security realm, you know, worked for the cops, were, were, were cops. And here's what you have in Democrat cities. 
because he's talking about all the violence. And you'd say, well, is that really true? And the answer is yes. I mean, if you look at per capita what's going on in Chicago and what's going on in Baltimore, there is more violence than you have per capita than in even what we consider to be very dangerous countries. And you'd say, well, why isn't there more of an outcry about this? Well, here's the reality of Democrat cities in America when it comes to crime. and, And if there is an exception to this, I'd be curious to know what it is. Overwhelmingly, even you can have a city that you can think of as pretty safe, but there are areas of the city where crime is concentrated. In New York, which I know very well, I know I know the numbers, I know the neighborhoods and worked for the NYPD in New York, almost all of the violent crime and the shootings in particular, almost all of the murders, I should say, and the shootings in particular are concentrated in there are five boroughs in New York City and the violence is in a couple of parts of Brooklyn and the South Bronx. That's where you have. 75% plus of the homicides that occur. So it's in a very small, overall very small part of the city. Now you would say, hold on, if you know where the violence is, why can't you stop it? Why can't you do more? Well, for one, there's always this deflection that happens from the elite, rich, predominantly in New York, white liberals who say, oh no, what we have to do is not, you know, more aggressive policing to keep the, you know, 99%, 99.9% of these minority neighborhoods where there is all this violence, 99, 99.9% of the people are just good people trying to live their lives and not involved in this crime. Instead of focusing on how to protect the 99% plus of the violent neighborhoods who are trying to live their lives, raise their, raise their families, you know, go to, go to work, do whatever they need to do as, you know, productive citizens day to day, no, they focus on, oh, well, let's expand, you know, let's expand the public school system with even more funds and let's expand welfare programs. Let's do these things that do not work. This is the social worker idea that we've seen the, the libs bringing up. But you see, there's another part of this that they'll never really, you'll never really hear the media address. And there is a sense of guilt that the, uh, the elite liberal upper class in these cities has to expunge because, you know, they have to find a way to, to expel this, to, to get rid of this sense of guilt because they're mostly fine with day-to-day life in these cities. They think it's great. They get to hold their liberal policies and liberal politics, and as long as the violence and the shootings and everything else are happening in what are, in New York and D.C., overwhelmingly minority neighborhoods. I mean, D.C. is a largely, by demographics, separated city. There are parts of D.C. You can look at this. There are maps. There's parts of D.C. that are overwhelmingly African-American. And there are parts of D.C. There's one part of D.C., really northwest, that is overwhelmingly white. And all these white liberals in D.C. will tell you, oh, you know, we have great policies and great ideas and everything. But they don't really spend much time thinking about, because it doesn't affect them, you see, the violence in minority uh, minority, minority majority neighborhoods. Same thing's true here in New York City. You have all these white liberals, and then they're not all white, they're from different races and backgrounds, but the rich liberals in Manhattan who live in multi-million dollar apartments and, you know, $10 million townhouses, you know, the Anderson Coopers and the Don Lemons and the Aaron Burnett's and these people at CNN, they pretend to care so much, but 
all the violence is concentrated in a few neighborhoods. What do they do? What do they want to happen with that? Oh, no. Let's just vote. Let's bash the cops because that's going to make things better in those neighborhoods. They every once in a while have to confront the guilt. The elite libs have to confront the guilt that they have deep down from pretending so much to care about violence in minority neighborhoods and doing nothing about it. But instead of being proactive and taking real steps, you know what they do? Blame the cops, play into the narrative, play the victimology game. That's what they do. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Joining us now is my friend Ned Ryan. He is the founder of American Majority Pack and is also a conservative commentator, writer, author, TV host. He is the, the man himself. Great to have you here, sir. Yeah, no, good to be with you, Buck. So you are somebody that the White House trusts, knows is, knows is, is on board for the mission, you know, Trump today tweeted something out about someone saying something mean about him on Fox News. I got to tell you, Ned, I'm I'm a little frustrated right now. I'm frustrated with Trump. I'm also frustrated with the Republican Party. I want to know how much of that you think or how much of that you share you think is fair and what we need to do to turn the political momentum right now. Oh, gosh, where to start, Buck? That's I mean, you got to unwrap, uh, unwind a lot of things there in that question. Uh, I think we have every right to be disappointed with the Republican Party and what I call conservative ink. And I've been very outspoken, obviously, on TV with Tucker and in my op-eds, the conservative ink, places like Heritage, AEI, all these people that have had literally billions. And I, and I wrote this in one of my last pieces for American Greatness, where I write all my op-eds and pointed out, you know, Heritage has raised between 2001 and 2018, 1.25 billion. They're sitting on 260 million in investments, lands and property. You know, what are they really prepared to do to beat the left? What are you going to do, swat them away with your white papers? And even worse, they're, they're denigrating us and slandering us. I thought K. Cole James' piece at Fox News was insulting, to be quite honest. Yep. There were three or four lines in there. I thought, you know, are you an advocate of the 1619 Project or actually about, you know, preserving and conserving the Constitutional Republic, the American Republic? But I have to tell you, too, and, I, and I've been very open and honest. And you're right. I, I mean, I went out there and slugged away for the White House, especially on hostile channels like MSNBC and CNN. You've done your part in that. I've done my part, you know, back in spring of 2017. These guys were convinced Russian collusion was real, and I laughed in their faces and said it's a fairy tale. So I fought the fight. But I went, I've been into the White House multiple times now in the last six weeks, and I'm a grassroots guy. You know, people that know what American Majority does, we're grassroots organizers. We train people to run for state and local office. That's what I've been doing the last 12 years with American Majority, but it was something I was doing four years before that. So it was like 16 years of experience, right? Dad was in Congress. I've been around D.C. almost 20 years, wrote at the previ uh, previous administration in a White House. I went in and said, listen, you got real numbers. You got real problems with your numbers down in Florida with absentee ballots. And this is something very specific, ran a narrative, showed them the numbers, went in second week of May. Went in ten week, uh, two weeks later and said, hey, here's, I'm giving you a narrative here that you've got real problems. If you do not address this, I see no electoral map that makes sense for you without Florida. And right now, and let me share this, Buck, and, and I'm sorry for being so long-winded in this answer. No, but man, got, let it rip. Got, let it rip. People understand. I've got to have people understand why I'm so concerned. Tradition, traditionally, in, in Florida elections, Republicans win the absentee mail-in vote, right? And we, we win it... 
by tens of thousands of votes. All right. And we invest some time and effort into it to make sure that happens. Then in the early in-person voting, Democrats typically win that and win it convincingly. So, so much so that we're typically behind in the vote going into Election Day. And then we usually pull it out on Election Day. But the margins keep on getting slimmer and slimmer and slimmer because Democrats are waking up to how to do absentee ballots. Right. Politico reported yesterday that Democrats are beating Republicans by over 300,000 absentee ballot requests in Florida as of this moment, about 17 weeks out from Election Day. If we do not win absentee ballot mail-in voting in Florida, I see no way we can win Florida. And if we don't win Florida, I have a really hard time seeing how Trump wins in November of 2020. I have said it again and again and again. And I messaged to them yesterday and even sent a tweet tagging Donald Trump and said, it's about time for you to get a real campaign manager and drop the jumped up website designer. There is so much at stake, fuck, you and I know it. The American Republic is in great danger now if they seize control. Speaking to Ned Ryan, founder of American Majority, as he's been saying, he is an organizer who's trying to actually help Republicans put points on the board um, because that's what matters. And, you know, Ned, to your point about conservative Inc., and you mentioned some very large think tanks. I, I Look, I'm not, I don't want to get you in any trouble, and I'm not even trying to get any trouble for myself here, but I'm just going to say that there are people in this conservative media sphere who, by speaking out, risk a lot. Uh, they, you know, they, they haven't had decades of you know, good times, fat and happy from the conservative media world. And if they got canceled or if they got fired or if they lost their job, you know, it'd be tough for them to figure out what the next move is. There are also people who are fat and happy, have a big show or something who and look, you and I both do Tucker's show. I think Tucker has been the heart of sanity in That's this right. whole situation. And I won't name names because I don't want to, you know, everyone has their personal stuff. But there are some other shows where I feel like and other other entities and institutions and platforms where I feel like they're pulling punches and, and maybe even maybe even part of the GOP, you know, surrender caucus, making some concessions and they could handle some heat, but they don't want it. And I think we're getting to a point here. Where we're going to have to start being honest about who really is willing to fight for this and who wants that third or fourth beach house. Well, that the, Buck, you, you make it a point, I, and I've I've been very blunt and honest about this. I don't mind getting in trouble. I'm already in trouble. You know, when people, I don't really care for their opinion, so I don't give a rip. You know, the amazing thing about Tucker that's so revolutionary that people are just like, we love Tucker so much. He's just simply speaking the truth. He's not pulling punches. He's saying, here's the reality of what is. And I made this point on his show Friday night. Actions authenticate beliefs. And we know the Black Lives Matter, what they believe, right? They're avowed Marxists. They're not shy about it. They want to destroy the Western nuclear family. They're in the streets. They're protesting. They're rioting. They're looting. Their actions validate their belief system. And on our side, we have a lot of Republicans and conservatives that want to come to D.C. and be involved in this because they think it's a cool career to pick up a paycheck. You're never going to pe- beat. And again, the, the Black, Marks, Black Lives Matter and these Marxists that are you know, Antifa and Black Lives Matter in the streets rioting, for them, religion is uh, their politics is religion, right? They are religious zealots. You're never going to beat religious zealots who want to destroy the American Republic with a bunch of careerists who think it's a cool career and want to pick up a paycheck. That's what we have. And I, and I have to say this, whatever people think the conservative movement is, I, I've come to the point, I don't even know if it's a movement, right? 
I, I think it's Conservative Inc. I think it's a racket. It's devolved into a business. I'm, I'm convinced by their actions. They believe in certain things like money and power. But, I, you know, my next piece is coming out with American Greatness. I'm not really sure what they believe deep down inside beyond the ephemeral pursuit of money and power. And when you lack the conviction to really fight for something, you'll bow the knee to anything. Well, I have to say, how, how many... How many conservative? And again, I, I separate this out. And, you know, look, there, there are people uh, there are people who are in a, like they've got families to feed and they're you know lower on the lower on the on the food chain, so to speak. And they, you know, they haven't amassed a tremendous amount of wealth and influence. But when was the last time that, you know, that anybody I mean, Tucker is getting boy. So he's a perfect example. Tucker's getting sponsors pulled from his show and he's not pulling back. We have all these other people that are, oh, I'm so tough and, you know, look at all my books or, you know, whatever it is. You know, I'm, I'm such a warrior for the cause. They're, they're playing it safe and they don't ever have to work again. And they care that they pretend to care so much about the republic. And I see to you saying, oh, what are you really what are you really willing to risk in this fight? You know, we talk about wartime conservatism. I mean, you know. I've got right. people that have gone after me, tried to get me you know, pulled off air. I've got other conservatives sometimes behind the scenes that try to get me pulled off the air. Uh, that's still a thing that happens. And, and I just I feel like, you know, when things. are we going to realize that you, you got you to gotta find the people that actually fight and not the people that are fighting for bigger bank accounts all the time? I mean, look, it is a business, but we also have to look at some people that – I look. I, I think there's a. I think there's a lot of rich, dead wood in the conservative ink movement right now. I'm just going to say it. Because we've incentivized and we've actually made people believe this is what you want to do. This is why you do this, right? So you can get a big bank account, have multiple homes, you've got your luxury car, whatever, as you're quote unquote fighting the good fight. And I have to tell you, Buck, one of the things that. It is really where people are being weighed in the balance and found wanting. They are hollow men and women, to be perfectly blunt. But we've incentivized this in some ways because we've allowed people to win without winning. And by that, I mean they've been allowed to win by, you know, making a lot of money, bank accounts, houses, all these things. I think we need to redefine what winning actually looks like inside the conservative movement. I'm a big believer with American majority politics as policy. We have to kind of, we have to completely restructure our incentives, uh, what we're actually pursuing, what winning looks like. Look, I, I, my next piece with American greatness after this one's going to be what the new right looks like. I think we have made massive mistakes by this overinvestment into intellectual ammunition and institution building. We need to start thinking about an insurgency fight. Uh, you know, I've written about the war of the flea, Uresco theory, all of these things, which I'll spell out in the next piece even more. We got to restructure this entire movement to understand we, we are at war. This is a war for the heart and soul of the American Republic. And we have to structure everything and how we're investing, our strategy and our tactics, what we're incentivizing people to do at the same time. I mean, American majority in one aspect, we are building a farm team of conservative leaders. We need to start looking out there for young talent that we can develop who have the right convictions, who have the right uh, goals in mind. That, I, you know, listen, I, I truly believe, and I want to say this so people understand and I qualify this, good, effective people deserve to make money. But it's good, effective Absolutely. people that deserve to make money, not simply because you exist and are saying cute things in a book or on TV. Absolutely. Oh, look, I agree. Ned, 
something we should be working on together going forward here, man, because, you know, the one thing about about good people who are honorable and real is they like other good people who are honorable and real. So thank you as always. That's correct. Thank you as always for joining us here on the show. American Majority, uh, Ned Ryan. Go check out the work that he's doing. Also, American Greatness for his latest written pieces. American Greatness does some really good editorial stuff. Uh, Thanks so much, Ned. Absolutely, Buck. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I'm very happy about General Flynn. He was treated horribly. He was treated very, very horribly by a group of very bad people. And I think you'll see things are going to start to come out. But what happened to General Flynn should never happen again in our country. He was persecuted, and many other people were persecuted. They spied on a campaign, and they should never spy on a campaign, to put it mildly. It never happened before in the history of our country. The Obama administration spied on a campaign. This is just the first one. He's been exonerated, and uh, I want to congratulate him. He's been through a lot. He's been through a lot. He had great courage, great fortitude. But they spied on a campaign. There's never been anything like that happened. If that were the other way around, people would be in jail for 50 years already. The president's right when he says that if it were the other way around, we'd have a very different outcome. That's for sure. You would have you would have Republicans in prison if they had done. And I, I mean, very senior. You know, you'd have the Comeys, the Strucks, the Brennans. If, if this were a Democrat administration, those people would be in prison. They charge him with conspiracy. Look at what Mueller does. Mueller effectively made up new charges that nobody had ever. What does it even mean? Conspiracy against the United States. What does that mean? It meant whatever Mueller said. Remember, they used that charge to pretend that there was the, the any possibility they were really going to try to prosecute Russian Facebook bot creators. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure, the Russians are just going to hand them over. What's amazing is that they actually called their bluff on that, and then they, oh, okay, they had to drop all those charges. Um, I had a, one or two public spats with a couple of well-known conservative legal intellectuals who were saying, oh, this isn't overcharging. This is absolutely necessary. You know, some never-Trumper types. Uh, like, no, this is a joke. They're not going to charge the Facebook bot creators with I mean, they're not going to bring them to trial for anything. This is nonsense. But Mueller came up with his team came up with conspiracy against the United States, which is really if you again, the Soviet Union, think about how authoritarianism, how totalitarianism works. And they could anytime they didn't have a charge, it was counter revolutionary activity. Yeah, I don't like you. I don't like I don't like your attitude. You're, you're, we've picked you up. Uh, we've sent one of the. As Solzhenitsyn called it, the Black Marias, these black Soviet sedans that would come and pick, you, pick people up in the middle of the night, you know, seize them from their homes in their bed with, with guns. Um, you know, they have you sit there and they can't really figure out, well, what did you do that was wrong? Counter-revolutionary activity. What, what, what does the Mueller team do? Yeah, we're going to say that there was a conspiracy against the election of the United States or something like that. And we're a conspiracy against the United States. Very broad. Trust me they would find a way to level that charge if it were Democrats in the White House against any of the Republicans involved in this attempt to destroy and ruin a presidential administration. They were, you know, there's this charge that has also been used in the past by Democrats always. They're the ones that, you know, whether it's the Logan Act or honest services fraud. This was a Democrat headhunter. Federal prosecutors love this. They used it against Conrad Black, for example. 
It was a Canadian conservative publishing magnate and really sent him to prison for a long time. Um, unjustly, they had to overturn this. The Supreme Court had to overturn the honest services fraud statute, at least in part because it was so broad that they had no outer limit to it. But that's what Democrats like, a statute that you can just make up as you go along. Hmm. OK, so what we see here is the president reminding everybody that if this were a different administration, a Democrat, the media would be they would be all their all their hair would be on fire every day about, oh, my gosh, the republic is dead. Look what they've done. And, and you'd have people in prison instead. They've dragged General Flynn through this nonsense for three years. For what? What was his crime? Really think about that. He's like, yeah, I don't know. I told some FBI. FBI had no had no business in the first place, even sitting down to ask him about his phone call. They only used the leak, the illegal criminal leak of that phone call to The Washington Post as the pretext to interview him on it. No business to even have the conversation. Right. There's something called the fruit of the poison tree doctrine in law, where if you get something through illegal means, that evidence gets tossed. There was no basis for the investigation of Flynn in the first place. And what is really the crime that he said he didn't talk about something that then they claimed that he did? And it's actually not clear because he talked about expulsions, not necessarily specifically about sanctions. It's a little bit of a gray zone. But they created this whole narrative that he he's a criminal. He's a felon. Ruin his life. Bankrupt him. Millions of dollars. These Democrats are vicious totalitarians. Don't forget it. That is their party. The same way that. The Bolsheviks took over the Soviet Union or created the Soviet Union and you know, took over Russia, ruined the place, ruined it. Generations of people condemned to misery. It can happen here, too. Democrats have gone that crazy. The only way that we can handle this is to win, to defeat them. And that's also the only way there will be any real justice for General Flynn, who has been sacrificed for the Trump administration and, and it's time that we get this man his reputation back. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Roll call time. That's right. That's when we get into it. Uh, but I also wanted to have an opportunity here to uh, let producer Brandon say hi to all you. You probably haven't heard from him in a while. He's filling in for producer Mark this week as producer Mark's working on his tan. Uh, producer Brandon, how you doing, man? How are all of us doing? Kind of the loaded question, but no, I'm doing all right. You actually, you checked in with me uh, via Instagram as soon as the pandemic went down, which I appreciate. Yeah, so man. I mean, you nice need to, to make sure my again. guys, you need to make sure my team is all right, you know, in case, you know, if, if producer Mark, you know, went down with a sniffle for a few days, we need to, producer Brandon's got to be ready to rock. I know. And now, now I have all this free equipment because I'm working, uh, working with you. But no, it's, uh, it's been all right. Just hanging uh, in my apartment in Queens for three months, whatever it is right now. With, how, how is the my how, how is the Appetite for Destruction podcast coming along? Close. Appetite for Distortion. Distortion. Ah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I actually thought of the the actually that was the album, right? Yeah, that's the play on yeah. words that I use. Yes. Yes. No, it's been cool. Actually, you would find this interesting i sent a request to email uh, to interview dr fauci to talk about the future of concerts and i actually heard back from his people but i guess he's too busy so they recommended uh, the cdc cdc press person or whatever uh but it's been fun i've been able to interview current members from guns and roses at home but what if i oh keep going i didn't mean to interrupt you you've interviewed guns and roses members which ones 
Uh, not anyone that you probably would care about, like Slash or, or Axel, but uh, their current drummer, Frank Farrar. Uh, I had a Zoom uh, interview with him a couple months ago. Uh, Matt Sorum, who uh, you may remember from the November Rain video, the whole user illusion era, got to interview him while at home. So it's uh, thankfully I'm still able to keep myself sane uh, while I'm you know in quarantine. Good man, good man. What is your yeah. Like, I, I really need, as soon as we get into, like, the j- phase where I can go to the gym, I'm going to have to give away, like, the collection of ice cream pints that I have amassed over time in my freezer, uh, which I'm also continuously updating, which is very bad news. That's why I feel like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man these days. Um, but what is your lockdown, quarantine, guilty food pleasure? We've bought a lot of pretzels. A lot of pretzels. That's what we've tried like different varieties, whether it's I think the one that my girlfriend just bought are little pretzel balls. We've gotten uh, honey ones. We got the rods. It's like every time we go, it's like a different kind of pretzel. So. So, yeah, that, that's my my answer for whatever reason. I, I don't know why. Is, is producer Mark going to let you go through the voicemail box for the show, which is 844-900-2825, buck for everybody listening? Or are you are you going to delve into the depths there? We'll see. I'll have to ask him because uh, <laughs> I don't know if our, the uh, Team Buck members that may remember, we were getting some good feedback on from me, and Mark was kind of scared. that he, He's like, why do they like you better than me? So I don't know. Maybe he's keeping the, the positive Brandon feedback away. So uh, well, I, I also want to tell you that if you want, I could call into your podcast and pretend to be Dr. Fauci so that <laughs> I could answer the questions about the concerts you know, here's the thing. Here's the thing, producer Brandon. A concert, a lot of people, you know, and when the people come together in a big, a big blob of people, the mitigation is less and the virus has a chance to spread. So what I think we're going to do is concerts where everybody kind of looks like a nerd because they're going to have to have Purell and a mask. And so, you know, if you're there and you're there to hear Def Leppard, you're gonna you're gonna have to have earplugs because it's loud, a face mask for the virus, and hand sanitizer for the mitigation. I think you know. I actually, it's good. I actually bought a Guns N' Roses face mask. I don't know what you think of me now, but I think I you're a true the- fan. I think you're a true fan, and people respect <laughs> that. People respect that because you own it, man. You don't you don't shy yeah. away from that that stuff. You don't shy away from it. I like I, we we dig that about you, producer Brandon, and we're glad you're okay. And it's nice you got a girl. You got a girlfriend, and also something else. Got a couple of cats from what I hear. Uh, I have three cats now. So I had one. They're all my girlfriend's family. We had one. I'm allergic to cats. I had to get, since being in lockdown, I never thought about this. I can't leave. So I have now two air purifiers. We had to travel to Ohio to meet her sister halfway because she's from Chicago to get these two other cats that were my her dad's. So now I have three, like, elder statesman's cats running around and it's like tumbleweeds going across the floor i've had like i thought i got covid honestly i had trouble breathing it was really bad so i'm gonna have to get the allergy shot once a week for the next uh six months as of next week so that's my little my little story being quarantined uh and being and being on the verge of dying from due to cat dander man you don't want to die during a pandemic not from the pandemic but from cat dander that's a rough way to that's a bad storyline it's so it, it's Buck. Honestly, it got really bad. I'm like, I'm like, do I have COVID? No, but I would go outside and breathe the fresh air. And it would go away. 
it's the cats. And no matter what if you just clean, shave them so they look like <laughs> they look like little, you know, hell spawn, like with the pink skin and the scary face and the claws. You know, what if you just shave all the hair, all the fur off? Maybe I should do that because part of it is my fault because I can't help but hug them and, and squeeze them and all that. So I kind of bring it upon. Are they nice cats? Well. Uh, the original cat, the OG, he is temperamental. Uh, the other two are just like super nice. I, I had a, my them. really only experience up close and personal with a cat was over a decade ago. I had a, a, a girlfriend. She was very beautiful. And um, she had a cat that was uh, also very like a very elegant looking cat. And uh, the cat would scratch me at random times. Like I would think <laughs> the cat was fine. And the girlfriend was kind of like that, too, although not scratching, but I'm saying, you know, snippy would be, uh, About, <laughs> be a little <sure>. unpredictable. <laughs> and then I realized, yeah, and then I, whoops, and then I realized the cat, um, the cat was mirroring the owner, I think. I think that was a real thing. I think it is, because my, my girlfriend's kind of the same thing. You have to, like, <laughs> sometimes you have to <laughs> dude, tell. Producer Brandon, <laughs> what if she's listening to this podcast? I don't want to get you, dude, you're going to be living me. on my couch for a few weeks if this keeps up. We got to watch out for you here. Don't Put worry. This way. Put it this way: She in the local in the local election because she's still on the ballot. She voted for Elizabeth Warren. So <gasps> not listening. <laughs> I'm sorry. Wow. She's good otherwise. Well, the good uh, news what? is I don't yeah. think we have to worry about her listening to this show. Then that's, so that's my the point. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now into all of the actual roll call team coming your way here. We have uh, first up, and remember Facebook.com/slash/BuckSexton. Please, if you don't follow me on Facebook, uh, add me in. We we post stories, and I post just. All kinds of stuff. Occasionally, Tallulah photos because she's a cute, fat little piggy, also known as a French bulldog. Uh, but we, we post also commentary, clips from the show. Sometimes I'll tell people I'm going to be on Fox or something on Facebook. And uh, if you're on Twitter, which I know probably less than 5% of you are, please do follow me, uh, Buck Sexton. But if you want to email me, teambuck at iheartmedia.com. And on Instagram, Buck Sexton. And you can send me direct. Look, we get a lot of direct messages on Instagram. Uh, I try to, we're trying to go through them. The team goes through them. Um, it's either me or Brandon or Mark, or we got a web team now and everyone, you know, they're going through the box to pick the best comments possible, the best uh, notes possible for all of us. So we're working on it. We get a lot coming in, but please do send them. We will always get through to reading them. We just can't get all of them on the air. All right. Probably because I talk too much. Anthony Shields. Hi, Buck. Love your show and how you're speaking truth and rallying the Patriots who love our country and the Constitution. Anthony, short but sweet, man. We love the roll call message. Thank you so much for listening and, and supporting us. It means a lot. Bart. Hey, Buck, I listen to your podcast daily. You and your crew do an awesome job. I'd like to say I'm quite conflicted on the entire police issue. I get treated pretty horribly by the police in the small town I live in. And although it was a combination of bad police and a terrible prosecutor, it left me here with a very bad experience. In all honesty, I do feel for the police out there being treated like they are. It's totally unfair. But like I said, I'm conflicted. Keep up the good work, buddy, and always shields high. Bart, there are bad cops. That exists. But let's remember, there are bad everythings, too. There are bad prosecutors. There are bad uh, teachers, bad garbage men, bad doctors. I mean, there's bad everything out there. Bad conservative radio hosts like there are bad people that exist in this world. Um, and you've just you got to understand that you do your best and you're responsible for your actions and your, your family, your loved ones. And got to just keep pushing through. I'm, I'm sorry you've had a bad experience with cops there. I got I remember I was uh, stopped 
when I was about 14 or 15, stopped, put up against the wall, frisked, and uh, they made me show them my hands to look for paint, for spray paint, because they had had a report of youths in the area writing graffiti. And they just they just put me up against the wall, patted me down the whole thing. And like, uh, I did not. I don't know. I would not have thought that I was somebody that would have been writing graffiti. But the good news is, of course, I was not. Uh, but I remember that they made they shine a flashlight on my fingertips and they were looking for flecks of paint. And uh, if I had them, they were going to arrest me. And did they have probable cause? Uh, you know, I don't think so. But anyway, look, it's not not perfect. Not perfect. Uh, Angela. Hi, Buck. I'm enjoying the show as always. Yesterday, you were talking about NASCAR and Bubba. Another thing that I think will come into play after this news episode, bumps and rubs have always been a thing. Will drivers now be afraid to do this and treat Bubba as they would any other driver, or will they avoid any bumps with him in fear of being called racist for harassing him? Uh, Angela, I had to figure out what a bump and, what a bump and rub was. Uh, <laughs> or do I? No, I do. Just kidding. I think. Yeah, I mean, all right. Anyway, in NASCAR, what a bump and rub is. And uh, I, I, that's a good I don't know. I don't know how that works in the sport. I've, I've never watched a full NASCAR race, so it may be interesting to check it out at some point. I watch more Formula One stuff. And I'm actually going to check out, I think, this Netflix documentary on Formula One. I hear it's very, very good. But, you know, Angela, could be. You, you know more about the sport than I do. I don't know if that's considered a grave affront you know, to bump and rubs, <laughs> bump and rub somebody. I mean, you know, usually like you want to buy somebody dinner, have a couple of drinks before you bump and rub. But yeah. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right. Now we have some more uh, roll call to get to. And let's let's do that together, shall we? Brandon. I heard you ask about a place where there are no left-wing activists, and I can say with 96% plus certainty that rural North Idaho lacks any left-wing activists. In fact, our local city, Coeur d'Alene, came out in force, armed and ready to defend from looting. I live in a small rural community of just a few hundred people an hour outside of Coeur d'Alene. Idaho and Spokane, Washington, we're right on the border. We are armed, polite, we help our neighbors. We wave and say hello. And they're not left-wing activists. There is probably a liberty here, but they stay quiet, so life is great. Well, Brandon, sounds like things are pretty good out in Idaho. Uh, so thanks for writing in and uh, giving us that option. I don't think producer Mark wants to move the Freedom Hut, Freedom Hut to Idaho, though. I don't think that's really going to be uh, the way he wants to do it. Angela! Hi, Buck. I'm enjoying the show, as always. Yesterday, you were talking about NASCAR and Bubba. Another thing that I think will come into play after this news episode... Oh, wait, sorry. We already did. <laughs> I just want to do the bumps and rubs again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just I got confused. Jay Buck, I flat out don't believe that cases are going up. Can we even trust the testing? Who does the testing? The CDC. Not exactly a reliable source. We know that in the first wave, a lot of cases were presumed positive based merely on symptoms. No actual test was taken. I think the same is happening again. The only numbers we should be concerned with are deaths, which are going down. This is all just a part of left-wing action against Trump, and we all know it. Shields, high. Jay, uh, hmm, hmm. Um, so let me see here. 
I don't think that that's likely going on. I think that there might look, there's always going to be some issues with, you know, this is an imperfect system. And I'm sure there's some places that might be over reporting or under reporting uh, with regard to testing. Uh, There's some degree of testing that must there's, I think, very high accuracy, but there are going to be some false uh, false positives. I think the bigger issue is that as they ramp up testing, which we're told we absolutely have to do to contain this, the greater number of confirmed cases overall becomes part of the narrative that we have to lock down again because there's more cases. But if we're doing more testing, is the is the pandemic actually getting worse or are we just finding more of the cases that are out there? That's where this becomes a real debate and discussion. Um, so, yes, indeed. Let's see here. Maureen. Hey, Buck and producer Mark. I just heard soccer is dropping the playing of national anthem of the national anthem before games. The solution isn't to stop the anthem at sporting events or in letting players kneel in derision of our flag. No, the solution is to play the anthem before any players are out on the field or court or whatever surface is being used for whatever sport. Play the anthem, do the usual pregame festivities, but without any players. When finished, bring out the players. Love you and the show and the website. Thanks for all you do. Um, Maureen, thank you so much for listening and for being a part of what we do here as for playing the anthem without players, um, well, let's uh, let's get into that, shall we? Uh, I think that what would happen if you did that, first of all, the players would complain. They would because they, they want this. The ones who want to make trouble here want the opportunity to do it during the anthem. So that's one part of it that I think would come up. And I think you would also then just have players who would take it upon themselves to. Uh, to do stuff right when they came out. You know, they would still find ways to cause, uh, to be disrespectful or to draw attention to themselves. Because as we know, this is all about branding for the players. This is not really about changing society or making things better. So yes, indeed. Trust me, they'd find a way. Um, Now, next up here, Graham. Hello, Buck and producer Mark. I'm a 46-year-old Rush baby and discovered your show late last year when I was looking for content. I really enjoy your insight and knowledge. It's a fantastic podcast, and I have been spreading the word. Graham, thank you so much. That really helps. It really means a lot. I have a question regarding PBS and NPR. The other day, you were talking about our needs for some billionaire conservative to buy some media company and convert it to an unsinkable aircraft carrier of free speech. I was wondering, why can't the Trump administration put their guy in charge of PBS and or NPR and start forcing them at least to tell the truth. These orgs have news editors, do they not? Thanks for being a voice of reason. Shields high. Well, thank you, Graham, for your support, and it's great to have somebody who understands fantastic radio, Rush Limbaugh, to feel like this is also a very good show. And as for um, replacing NPR, not, not a bad idea, not a bad idea, but remember that the staff at NPR would be an open revolt, and there would be, you know, so I don't think... It, it, they won't go along with it without making it impossible for just the director, and you're not going to replace the whole staff of it. And if you tried, the media would freak out. But it's an interesting thought. Let me let me give it some more thought, actually. Team, thanks as always. Check out BuckSaxon.com when you can. Tomorrow we talk. Shields high.